Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick. Southeast Radio. Welcome back to Southeast Radio's Business Matters with me, Carl Fitzpatrick. My final guest this morning, Chris Yeh, teamed up with the founder of LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman, to highlight the high growth strategies which have been successfully deployed by Google, Airbnb and Facebook. Chris, we'll be discussing your book, Blitzscaling, the lightning-fast path to building massively valuable companies, which you co-wrote with Reid Hoffman. But perhaps you might start the interview by providing us with an insight into your own career. Certainly. So I have a classic Silicon Valley startup background in the sense that I was born and raised somewhere else and ended up making my career there. So I was actually born in Southern California and grew up there. And I ended up coming to Silicon Valley when I went to Stanford University for my undergraduate degree. And after Stanford, I jumped into the internet startup industry. I was working for D.E. Shaw and Company, which is the company that Jeff Bezos worked for before he left to found Amazon. And no, sadly, he had left about 18 months before I got there. So we are not close personal friends. Otherwise, perhaps the story of my life would be even different. (laughs) But uh, it was a great experience uh, working on internet companies and startups. And that's what I've been doing ever since. Uh, Probably the most well-known is a live video company called Ustream that IBM eventually acquired in 2016. But along the way, I started doing investing in other startups and working with startups, which helped build the experience that eventually turned into writing books about the startup process. And that started happening in the past decade or so, and it's been a fantastic experience. And how did you cross paths with the co-founder of LinkedIn, Reid Hoffman? Well, that's funny. One of the things people often ask is, Chris, how do you know so many rich, famous, important people. (laughs) And my response to them is, well, I got to know them before they were rich, famous, and important. And in the case of Reed, what happened was I met him when he was first starting out at LinkedIn. I had met the founder of Friendster, which was another one of those social networks at the time, and so I was following the space. This was in the early 2000s. And when LinkedIn came out, I thought, wow, this is the service for me. It's for professionals who want to connect with other professionals. That's what I want out of a social network. And I was one of the first 3,000 users of LinkedIn, and I saw that the founders were all fellow Stanford alumni. So I just reached out to them and began giving them product suggestions, feedback, telling them what I thought of the product. And then later I had the opportunity to have Reed come and speak at a Harvard Business School alumni event to tell the alumni of my alma mater, Harvard Business School, why they should join LinkedIn. And that's how we got to know each other. I've stayed in touch since. So what has made Reid Hoffman so successful in business, in your opinion? Well, there are many traits that are important for success in business. And Reid has many of them, the persistence, the hard work. But Reid is probably one of the smartest people you will ever meet in the world of business. And he thinks about things strategically. Everything, everything for him is about strategy and thinking through what are the key choices you need to make in order to succeed. So, for example, with LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn actually had a number of competitors in those early days, companies like Plaxo, whose names are now long forgotten. And one of the questions that people pose to read is, how did you know that LinkedIn would win? And he can very easily explain it and say, well, The thing about LinkedIn is it was pretty apparent that the Internet was going to move from an anonymous 
platform to a named real identity platform, and there was no real identity service at that point in time. And it was also the case that things were moving from tools for companies like Plaxo to individual tools like LinkedIn. And so he felt confident in the strategic choices he had made to position the company for success. What are the smartest decisions that you've seen Reid take over the last 10 years? I think that the LinkedIn decision, obviously, is one of the incredible ones. Another one is his investment in Airbnb, which, of course, is, is very much in the news as well. And what's interesting about his decision to invest in Airbnb is uh, he originally passed on the idea Uh, But the way he explains it is the person who introduced him to the idea introduced it in the wrong way. The first time he heard about Airbnb, uh, the friend who introduced him said, oh, it's like couch surfing, which is you have a website where you go and you stay on someone's couch and he said, oh, that's not going to work. And then the second time he was introduced to Airbnb a little bit later, somebody said, oh, it's eBay for all the physical assets and spaces in the world. And he said, ah. Now I want to talk. And what have you learned about Reed from the many projects that you've collaborated on? Well, I'll tell you, there are a couple of key Reed techniques that I have shamelessly stolen for myself. Mm-hmm. So the first thing is, if you want to do something incredible, the most important thing to do is to get feedback quickly. And the best way to get feedback is to talk with the smartest people you know who might know something about the area and ask them of your idea, what's wrong with it? Because as Reid points out, if you ask someone, what do you think, they're going to say, wow, that sounds great, another hit. But if you ask them what's wrong with it, you force them to be critical and to think about it. And if there's a common thread in Reed's life, it's the fact that he is always looking to learn. And when he goes on stage and he speaks in front of an audience, I can always guarantee that the first question he'll ask when he comes off the stage to whoever happens to be there is, what could I have done better? And what is Reed's approach to strategy? You mentioned the words patterns and frameworks, but how does he approach developing a strategy for a new product or service? So I would say the first step that Reed takes is research. And by research, some of it's going to be reading actual papers and articles and, and things like that. But a big portion of it is, in fact, talking with leaders in the field. And Reed's belief, and I share this, is that so much of the knowledge that we have is not necessarily all written out. It's contained in people's heads. And so one of the most important things you can do is to develop your network of experts so that you can turn to them and learn from them. Once you've developed that research, I think that the pattern matching is critical. It's trying to be incredibly rigorous and say, well, how does this resemble patterns that have worked in the past? And then let me get down to the deep details. I'll give you an example. One of the things that Reed has famously said is that when you create a startup, especially a consumer-oriented startup, what that startup needs to do is it needs to tap into at least one of the seven deadly sins. That is a classic sort of high-level pattern. And then what you need to do is have the rigor to delve down into it and say, well, all right, what is the sin that is at play here and how does it actually work? So if you start to look at something like Instagram or Twitter, what kind of sins are there? Obviously, things like pride, but also intermixed in there, things like envy, and how do those play out in the consumer experience? So let's go and talk about your book. What was the premise for Blitzscaling? And when you were writing the book, what type of a reader did you have in mind? So the premise behind Blitzscaling is that the world is being changed by companies that are growing faster than ever before. If you look at a company like Facebook or Airbnb or Lyft, which just priced its IPO relatively recently, 
what you see is that these companies are growing faster than any other companies in history. And the question is, what's behind this? And for us, the answer is the Internet has connected everyone together. Everyone is now networked, which means that more and more markets are winner-take-most or winner-take-all. And when you have one of these winner-take-most or winner-take-all markets with strong competitive factors that mean that whoever wins the race to be the first to scale gets enduring market dominance, it means that the companies that succeed are the companies that pursue speed and speed above all else. And so that is the premise behind the book, that you can use speed as a competitive weapon, and this is the way that the companies of the future are being built. And what are the common attributes of today's more successful tech companies? So if you look at these companies, you can see some of the elements of blitz scalability, which is what we call it in the book. And we look for a couple of different things that we call the key growth factors. The first is the market size. And it's important to see not just... Uh, and the current market size, but the future market size. If you looked at the market for ride-hailing as a fraction of the taxi market, you would reach one conclusion about the value of a company like Lyft. If you look at ride-hailing as its completely new industry that is creating a market, then you reach a different conclusion. The second thing is the distribution and go-to-market. It's really important, if scale matters, to have a strategy for how you're going to get your product or service into the hands of the customer. And I think a lot of times in the startup world, people are obsessed with the product. It's absolutely important. You need to have a good product to succeed. But having a good product does not guarantee success. You need to think about how you're getting into people's hands as well. The third factor are gross margins. You look at companies like Airbnb, for example, they're very asset light. Their gross margins are very high, 80, 90 percent. That helps fuel the growth because there's that many more dollars coming off the top line that can be used to invest in growth to push the company to even greater heights. And then finally, one thing we always look for are network effects or other long-term competitive advantages. And if you look at a company like Airbnb, there are really strong network effects. It's a two-sided marketplace where when you have the most hosts, more guests want to stay. And if you have the most guests, most hosts want to list on the platform. And companies like Airbnb and before it, companies like eBay were able to ride these kinds of network effects to long-term market leadership. Chris, what I'm hearing from you is that speed is the new currency. So is your advice to business owners to get a minimum viable product out into the market and then adapt it and tweak it as necessary? Absolutely. And one of the counterintuitive rules of blitzscaling that we lay out in the book is launch a product that embarrasses you. Now, that sounds crazy. But what we mean by that is you need to understand that if you're going to launch a minimum viable product, you are probably not going to feel great about its polish, its fit and finish, that it won't be something that has been perfected. But that's okay, because the key is the market is smarter than you or I. And entrepreneurs who spend their time perfectionistically saying, I'm going to create the perfect product at launch, are going to launch much later and then also discover that they are wrong about the market because nobody knows anything until you actually have real market feedback. And what are the key techniques that underpin blitzscaling? So the key elements of blitzscaling are being able to identify a blitzscalable market, being able to obtain 
the human and financial capital of the blitz scale, which means being able to fundraise. It also means building a network of early employees who can help you hire other employees or to build your own personal network of people that you want to work on a company. And then finally, understanding that as the company grows, as it goes from 10 employees to 100 employees to 1,000 employees, each of those movements, uh, each of those factors of 10 is a phase change. It completely changes how the company works, and you have to continually re-architect your systems and your management approach to reflect the new reality. And how have you witnessed companies like Airbnb, PayPal, and Facebook approach this blitzscaling technique? So here's a great example. One of the things we tell people is, as you heard, you have minimum viable products and things like that. You need to test. You need to understand. And that means sometimes you do things that don't scale in order to scale. And there's a great example from Airbnb where they discovered after about 18 months of operation that the most important thing they could do to get people to actually rent on Airbnb was to make sure that the photographs of the apartment or the room were good. And this is because if you think about it, a hotel has professional photographers, they stage everything beautifully, but in the early days of Airbnb, people would just take their phone out and they'd take some photos of their apartment, and guess what? Most people are not professional photo- <laughs> uh, photographers. And so what happened was the folks at Airbnb realized to, sol- to succeed, we have to make sure that we are getting professional photographs taken. Now, early on, very difficult to do this, no resources. So the founders actually flew out to New York City where most of their listings were and went to each host's home personally and took the photographs themselves. Clearly not scalable, but that allowed them to gain the information to confirm that getting these photographs in would have the impact they wanted. And then from there to say, okay, well, what's the next step? Well, the next step is let's get some freelance photographers in to take those photographs. And they manage it via an Excel spreadsheet. And the next step after that is, well, we as founders don't have the time to do this anymore. Let's bring in a summer intern and have her manage the spreadsheet of photographers. And only when that became impossible did they then say, let's build some automated systems. So that's a great example Mm -hmm. of how that iteration at different stages of the company can keep you just ahead of the curve so that you're able to grow. And Chris, are there certain types of companies that are more suited to blitzscaling than others? Well, that's a fascinating question because a lot of people say, well, is blitzscaling just for these software and internet companies? And the answer is blitzscaling can actually work in any industry where those growth factors are present because it's a relative strategy, not an absolute strategy. Nowhere in the book do we say you must be growing at at least 300% a year to be considered to be blitzscaling. It's all about your pace relative to the competition. And when is it appropriate to blitzscale and when is it most likely to fail? So the most appropriate time to blitzscale is when you have these factors in place, as many of them as possible. The big market, the distribution system, the high gross margins and the network effects. And most importantly, there are competitors that you need to outrun. In those cases, then it absolutely makes sense to blitzscale because there is going to be a winner and you want to be that winner. And the value of being the winner instead of the second or third place finisher is enormous. On the other hand, you may find yourself in other circumstances where it doesn't apply. If the market is not that large, if there is no long-term competitive advantage to being the first to scale, if you don't have any competition and you want to be able to reduce the chances of a misstep along the way, those are all legitimate reasons not to blitz scale. In the book, we talk about two companies that were founded in the same year, 
One is Amazon, which obviously is a blitzscaling example, and the other is the French Laundry by Thomas Keller, which is probably considered America's greatest restaurant. And Amazon obviously has scaled up and become an enormous success, and the French Laundry still only serves 60 people a day, but is also an enormous success, just in a different way. Now, of course, with every strategy, there's a level of risk. So talk to me about some of the risks associated with blitzscaling and why business common sense needs to prevail against some of its counterintuitive processes. So the key with blitzscaling is there's this metaphor of startups as a rocket ship. And I find it very appropriate because a rocket ship is a controlled explosion. And it is certainly possible for that, for that explosion to become uncontrolled. And that is the delicate balance with blitzscaling. You have to be monitoring the status of your rocket ship continually and making sure that you are fixing the things that are about to blow it up. And we call this letting fires burn. There are too many things going on for you to ever deal with all of them. And so you need to strategically decide what's going to kill you now that you've got to take care of and what can you put off for later. And in that case, many times as you are trying to fix these issues, conventional business wisdom can be effective. And Chris, before we finish the interview this morning, I'd like to get your outlook for Google, Facebook and LinkedIn. So, of course, I have no insider information on any of these companies. Uh, Google and Facebook are publicly traded. LinkedIn is, is part of Microsoft. But I will say that these companies have built not just uh, an incredible business, but they also have great leadership in terms of their ability to think about the future in long-term ways. When I think about what the founders of Google have done in terms of changing the world, not just with their core business, but with things like self-driving cars, and they're funding an institute, Calico, a company that's going to uh, attack aging as a problem, I'm very inspired. Uh, when I look at LinkedIn, and I think of LinkedIn CEO Jeff Weiner and his devotion to making sure that everyone in the world has access to the best economic opportunities, that's an inspiring vision as well. Facebook has had some troubles along the way. Certainly, I think that uh, Facebook has been exploited for some political purposes that it was not intended to be exploited for, and hopefully they're working on that. But this is part of what's important when you become a company of this size. You have to understand that Society itself is a customer. It's not just about your customers and shareholders. Society itself is a customer, and you have to take that into account. Well, if you've just tuned in, that was Chris Yeh, the co-author of Blitzscaling, and I would like to thank Chris for joining us on this morning's show. Well, we're almost at closing time here now at Business Matters, but before we go, I'd like to take this opportunity to thank my production team, my guests for their contribution, and especially you as always for listening. Join me again next Saturday morning when we'll have more from the world of business. But until then, have a profitable week. Southeast Radio's Business Matters with Carl Fitzpatrick.